Well, it is so good to see you this morning, and we have a special treat in store for us. We finished up this series uh, just this past week on uh, Mythbusters, where we've been questioning the myths that mess with us in our culture. And uh, today we had this, this time in between series when next week I'm going to start a new series on one of the great mysteries of the New Testament. And, uh, and I look forward to starting that next Sunday. But in this particular spot, I was talking uh, not so long ago, just a few months ago, uh, with somebody who has had an incredible impact on my life. And we got talking about me asking the question, is there any possibility that you would ever be able to come and speak with us on a Sunday morning? And, uh, and I had asked him last year, and we were not able to get things worked out with his, his schedule, but we were so excited when he said that he would be back today. He just got in from Honduras yesterday, uh, and so we're very grateful that there was no snowstorm or anything that held him up. Uh, but Mike McNeil has been teaching for decades as a professor at Kingswood University. He has a brand new book out that I think you'll hear just a little bit about today that will be available after the service out in the atrium by the main entrance. But Mike has played a huge role in my life because he was a professor there when I went to school there back in 1995, which is hard to imagine because he looks younger than me and yet He's been teaching there since Noah and the time of the flood, and uh, so I'm not exactly sure how that works out mathematically, but, uh, but t when I was there at school, I went to transfer, and I did end up transferring to uh, another college. I went there as a transfer student for the first year or two, two years actually that I was there, and uh, and I went through a time that publicly a lot, a lot of people did not know about, where I had been struggling with my faith. And uh, Mike stood out for me as an example of somebody who demonstrates and lives what it means to be a passionate follower of Jesus Christ. And, and whenever I think about a dynamic, passionate communicator of God's word, back when I was 19, 20 21 years old, if you ask me, who's one of the greatest communicators of God's word that you have ever heard about who helps that come alive in your life? My answer then and my answer still today would be Mike McNeil. Would you welcome him today to Moncton Wesleyan Church? Wow, that is so much to live up to. I'm, in, I'm intimidated. I'm intimidated now. Uh, I, I am a little uh, jet-lagged from coming in from Central America, but I will try to, uh, I will try to be enthusiastic and give it, uh, give it everything that I've got today. Uh, Joel uh, mentioned uh, my book. This is, uh, I want to do a qualifier, and this will be available uh, later. There's a, a table outside. Um, but this is, uh, this is 37 stories True life stories of God working in unusual uh, situations, unusual places with unusual people, and so I just want to qualify it by saying that it's uh, it's rated PG. Okay, it's pretty godly, but there's a little bit there's some earthy language in it. Okay, because uh, because they're outreach stories, and and some of the people in the stories are a little more colorful sometimes than uh, than we. Are. I'm going to tell some. Uh, some stories uh, out of the book today, and so if you're interested in that, 
that will be available later. My goal today is, is a really simple one. My goal is just to, to really encourage you and, uh, and to inspire you. So at Kingswood, we have like, we have really brilliant uh, theological people. I'm not one of those, okay? I'm like more on the, the action-oriented, revivalist uh, kind of end of the spectrum. And so my goal today is just to, is for us to look at the gospel and for, uh, for you to leave here inspired uh, to, live, to live more flat out for Jesus than you ever have before. And so in the scripture, I want to go to the, to the birth of the church. I want to go to Acts chapter 2. And we're just going to kind of break that down. I'm going to read some scripture and, uh, and tell you some stories that connects to that scripture. But in Acts chapter 2, uh, where the Holy Spirit comes at Pentecost, it says, when the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly the sound of a blowing, wind, violent wind came from heaven. And filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be fire separate and come to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now they were staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. When they heard this sound, uh, the, the, the crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard the gospel in their own language. Utterly amazed, they asked, aren't these who are speaking Galileans? Uh, then how is it that we're hearing each other in our own language? Parthians and Medes and Elamites and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappuccino. Oh, I'm sorry, I always get that one wrong. Um, Pontus and Asia and, and parts of Egypt and Libya near Cyrene. Visitors from Rome, Cretans and Arabs. We hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own language. Amazed and perplexed, they ask one another, what does this mean? Some, however, made fun of them. And said they have had too much wine. There's always going to be people that make fun of the gospel. But then in verse 14 it says, Then Peter stood up with the eleven, raised his voice, and addressed the crowd. So I want to talk about the power of the, of the, the gospel today. And I just kind of want to work us through this scripture. Beginning, beginning in verse 1 uh, where they were all together. And so my first point is that the gospel is communal. There's something, this is the reason we gather on Sunday. There is something powerful when two or three are, are gathered, when we get together, we sense God's presence in a more powerful way. And the gospel is communal. It's, it's, not, it's not a solo kind of act. And so they were all together in, in one place. I was, a, I was like a youth evangelist for about 25 years. And uh, some of the most powerful times I saw were kind of in the after services when people would get together and they'd, and they'd pray and the, the power of the Holy Spirit would come down and we'd see, we'd see uh, God do things. When, when, when God is ready to move, we have to be ready. And for me, uh, for me uh, whether it's going across the world or growing across the street, it's all the same thing. It's just kind of living, us living together in community as the church and kind of reaching out to whatever community we find ourselves in. Uh, a lot of people, I, I get a lot of attention and a lot of great introductions like, like Joel just gave me. Um, but my wife, I think my wife Colleen is the real evangelist in the family. And I tend to, 
I tend to go across the world a lot, but, but she tends to be really active in Sussex, where we're from, and, and uh, you know, and, and kind of goes, goes across the street. In fact, sometimes I've gotten used to this. Like, she'll say, I've got to run down to the grocery store and get something. I'll be back in a few minutes. Three hours later, she comes through the door. And it's, I'm, like, I'm like, where were you? Well, you know, I saw this person in the, in the, in the vegetable aisle. They looked a little sad. I asked them what was going on. You know, I ended up praying for them in the veg, over the vegetables, and it turns into this, into this big story. Uh, one day, Colleen was, uh, she was kind of looking out the window, and she noticed that the lady across the street from, we live in one of those neighborhoods where you just kind of wave to people out of the driveway, but you don't, you know, you, you might do that for years without really knowing who they are. She noticed that the lady across the street always went for a walk at the same time each day. And so she planned the next day to, to just come out at the same time. And uh, she walked over and said, hey, I noticed you like to walk. I like to walk too. Maybe we can walk together. And when you walk together, it's more awkward not to say something than to say something. And so as they were walking together, they began talking together, just kind of sharing life. We had no idea that that, that, that neighbor was about to be uh, diagnosed with a really aggressive disease, a really aggressive form of cancer. And, uh, and so what happened was Colleen began to walk with her through that, through that journey of cancer, and it, was, it, it happened very quickly. And so they would talk, and Colleen would counsel her as, as they were walking, and then she couldn't walk anymore, and Colleen would visit her across the street a couple of times a week, and then it got to the point where she couldn't take visitors, so, so Colleen would call. And uh, we ended up going to her funeral about like six months after that. And, uh, but the cool thing was, she had grown up in the church, but had gotten a long ways away from the faith of her childhood. And the cool thing was, when we went to her funeral, we knew she had given her life back to Jesus, and we knew where she was. And uh, the gospel... The gospel is all about uh, us kind of getting out in the community. It's a, it's a, a communal kind of thing. And, uh, and when we do that, we can, see, we can see amazing things happen. So in, in verse 2, uh, it goes on to say, Suddenly, a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven. The Bible is funny sometimes. You know, there's like a 400-year gap between the Old and the New Testament before Jesus kind of shows up, and, and there didn't seem to be much happening spiritually during that time. And so I love it when the Bible says suddenly, like suddenly, after 400 years, it's like suddenly, God's timing is different, right? Suddenly, uh, there's a violent, uh, a violent wind from heaven, and it fills the whole house where, where they're sitting, and uh, my second point, the gospel is not only communal, the gospel is powerful. The gospel is powerful. Some say that the Holy Spirit is a gentleman. Have you heard that? I'm not so sure. I don't know about you. Like The Holy Spirit came after me, and he wasn't always gentle about it. I do a lot of uh, uh, urban work, uh, a lot of work overseas, and uh, I was in New York City one time. I, I've spent about probably about two years of my life in New York City if I added up all the weeks. I was in New York City one time, and uh, I was working with this ministry called 
uh, the New York City uh, bus relief. And it's a big rolling soup kitchen that goes to different, uh, different communities on different days of the week. And uh, it's a, you know, they have, they have soup and they have, uh, uh, they give away Bibles, they give away clothes, they do job placement. It's a, it's a, you know, kind of a full service kind of Christian ministry. It's like a rolling soup kitchen. So I wasn't, anybody ever, you ever have one of those days where you wake up and you're not feeling spiritual? Anybody like that? You know what I mean? Like you wake up and you're just not feeling it. I was having one of those days. So I was really relieved when I got to the bus and they said, you're going to be working the t-shirt table today. And I was like, great, I can just cruise through this. All I have to do is like hold up t-shirts and say, small, medium, large, you know, and just hand people t-shirts. It's going to be a really easy day because I'm not really feeling super spiritual today. So I'm I'm at my little t-shirt table, and I'm, you know, kind of giving people t-shirts. And I see this guy. He's like a gangster. He's coming down the street. He's like shuffling down the street. And so I notice him because he kind of stands out. He gets up to the window where they're serving the soup. He gets two cups of soup. And then I see him start to walk away. But as he's walking away, suddenly the soup flies up in the air. He goes down onto the ground rolls around, comes up in a fighting position. And I'm looking at him, and then he locks eyes with me. And he starts running full tilt right towards me. He runs up to me, he grabs my shirt, and he he screams, I need to get saved right away. Believe it or not, believe it or not, they do not teach what, they do not teach this in Bible college at all, okay? So he's yelling like, I need to get saved, and I didn't know what to do, so I start yelling back at him. I'm like, do you even know what that means? And he's like, yes, my mom's, my mom's Pentecostal church is praying for me. And, and the, so we're yelling this information back and forth. Finally, I yell him through the sinner's prayer. Like, in Jesus' name, in Jesus' name, amen. And... And then we, like, both calm down. And, and he tells me his name is Cobra, which is a great name to have if you just get out of prison and you're at Harlem, right? And so, so Cobra tells me, you know, like, he's got out of prison. His mom's church is praying for him. They've told him, if you ever need, uh, if you ever need help, uh, the, the Christians down at the bus are, like, really, they're really good people. Go down there, and they'll give you food. And he goes, this is what he said to me. He said, I just came for the soup, man. I just came for the soup, and then your God took me down. And, I'm, <laughs> and that's, that's why I woke up in a fighting position. But then I thought, God's too big. I can't fight God. I should become a Christian instead. And that's when I ran up to you. And uh, so I'm trying to process all this, right? And, uh, and I don't know, does God, you know, I pray for God to touch people, but maybe not like Chuck Norris, like, you know, kind of <laughs> touch him that way. But I introduce him to the people running the bus and stuff, and like, it's about six months later, I'm back at the bus, and I see this guy that looks kind of familiar, and I'm like, Cobra? Is that you? And he says, well, I don't really go by that name anymore, but, you know, because I was questioning, is that real? Can, like, somebody actually become a Christian that way? Does God work in that way? And uh, it was real. He was reading his Bible. He was praying. He was going to church. It was real. He was a real Christian. And the gospel is powerful. Sometimes in church we forget 
how powerful the gospel is and how God can take people down, like right on the street, right on the streets of New York. So the gospel is powerful. And then it says that, that there were tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. And all of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. The gospel is verbal. There's a really, there's a saying going around that is attributed to St. Francis of Assisi. Uh, and, it's, and it's like, it's like preach the gospel and if necessary, use words. There's two problems with that. One is that St. Francis never said it. And the other is that it's stupid. You've got to use words. Like this is the word of God. Uh, and Jesus was the, literally the word of God. And Jesus and the disciples all used words. The gospel comes in words. And so the gospel is always verbal. There were tongues of fire. That words are always necessary. God, God inspired God-infused words. And what I find is this. It's like when God does something real in our life, we can almost not help but speak about it. We say, if, God, if God does something and it's real and it changes us, there's an impulse to share that. And uh, the gospel is verbal. And so we've just got to kind of let God speak through us. And it's not really about whether you're extroverted or introverted. I had a student last year, his name was Nathan. He was pretty introverted. And uh, you know those emotionally flat people? The people that are kind of like, I'm excited, I'm angry, I'm happy. And it all looks the same. That was what Nathan was like. He just had that kind of even keel personality. But uh, he had something wrong with his leg and God healed it. And he got really excited about Jesus after that. And uh, he really felt like God was... God was saying to him, I want you to start praying for people's healing. And so he had prayed, and we had seen several people healed. And we go to, uh, we go to uh, Westmoreland Institute and Dorchester Penitentiary on a monthly basis. And, and so we were there at the, at the minimum, uh, the minimum security prison up there in, uh, in Dorchester. And there was a guy there that, uh, his name is Toons. Everybody in prison has a nickname, Okay. So Toons was into music. He was a drummer, and he ran sound, and he helped us out when we do chapel services there. And uh, so we were in there, and we kind of did our chapel service, and someone was talking to Toons, and, and Toons, how you doing? Well, I don't know. There's something wrong with my arm, and I can't, like, lift my arms over, like, this point. When I do, there's shooting pain, and, and it's really discouraging me and really getting me down. So this student says, well, Nathan's been praying for people. Maybe we should get Nathan to pray for you. And Toons is like, sure, whatever, you know. And so they go, hey, Nathan, come on over. They explain the situation. Nathan prays for Toons and, and then says, do you feel any different? And Toons goes, no, not at all, which could be fairly discouraging when you're praying for somebody, right? And uh, so Nathan goes, can I pray, can I pray again? And uh, and Toons goes, hey, I got nowhere else to go. Sure, I got all the time in the world, right? And, uh, and so Nathan prays a second time, just a really simple prayer. And uh, Toons, do you feel any different? Well, maybe a little bit, but not really. A lot of us would have quit at that point. But Nathan said that, he said, can I pray one more time? 
And this is what happened. Nathan prayed, and this, I was kind of like standing on the other side of the room, and what I saw was a man like running around doing a windmill. He was over the room, and uh, his theology wasn't quite correct. He was saying, Nathan healed me, right? He was saying that to everybody, Nathan, and Nathan's over here. He's taking theology class, and he's like, it wasn't me. It was Jesus, you know, and so they're yelling back and forth. It's just this great scene, but Toons had like the biggest smile on his face, and he could not, he was telling every, he was telling the most intimidating people that God had just healed him. Because when God does something real in our lives, there's this impulse to speak, isn't there? There's, there, there's this inspiration. And, uh, and the, gospel is, the gospel is verbal. Kind of moving on, verses, uh, verses 5 to 11, where it talks about all the people that are there and uh, how they all hear the, the praises of God in, in their own language. Uh, and, and, and they're amazed by it, and they ask that question. It's a great question. What does this mean? What could this possibly mean? This is, this is, this is amazing. Uh, my next point is that the gospel is viral. The gospel is viral. The gospel goes from person to person. The gospel is for everybody. It doesn't matter what background we're from. It doesn't matter what personality type we have. Uh, it's the gospel of Jesus Christ is for, is for everyone. Uh, it's a, the same spirit. I just came from Honduras where uh, a different background, different color, different language. But it was amazing because like as soon as, as soon as I got into churches there, there was the same spirit. Even beyond the language barrier, there was, there was the same spirit. The Holy Spirit uh, of God was common uh, to, to believers. And the gospel is viral. I don't know if you've ever seen the gospel go viral where it kind of just spreads like wildfire, kind of spreads like a good virus. That's God's will for all of us. That's God's will for Moncton. That's God's will for the Maritimes. That's God's will for Canada, that the gospel would go viral, that it would spread from uh, person to person. That's how the early church went from 120 people to like millions of people in the first couple hundred years. The gospel went viral. We've, uh, as we've gone to prison, as we've gone to Dorchester, to the, to the medium section of the prison over these last couple of years, I've seen something amazing happen. I've seen the gospel go viral. There was, uh, uh, there's, there's prisoners, that there, there's like Bible studies that have broken out all over the prison, and it's, and it's happened in a really interesting way. Uh, there, was, there, was a, there's a, there's a prisoner that uh, is... He, he was kind of like one of the biggest, meanest, most feared prisoners. And uh, we'll, we'll, I can't use his real name. We'll just call him like Joe because it's a generic name. But Joe was, when Joe first walked into chapel, the first time we were doing chapel, Joe walked in, he has, he has three teardrops tattooed on his face, which I'm pretty sure means that he's killed three people. He was a part of, of the Hell's Angels. When he walked into chapel the first time, one of my students looked at the door and saw Joe coming through, and his, his prayer life immediately increased. He was like, oh, God, please do not let that guy sit beside me. So, of course, Joe came right over and sit beside him, right? And, that's, and, uh, 
And Joe started coming out to chapel. He started coming out every month when we were there. And it was like really rough. Uh, he has tattoos all over his face, all over his whole body. And uh, he, as he, as he would come, you could tell that the gospel was impacting him. And, uh, and, and, and one time we went, after a little while, we, we went and, and we, we went in there and he told us like, hey, I've become a Christian. And we were like, that's awesome. That's awesome. And uh, he said, can I, can I share a little bit? Like in chapel, can I tell the other prisoners what's happened to me? And we were like, sure. Joe gets up to the mic. He shares in, in a really rough way, he shares what God is doing in his life. He dropped the F-bomb 10 times during a four-minute testimony, okay? And he didn't even know that that was an issue. He didn't know that that's probably not a good thing to do. He hadn't gotten to that point yet. And I was like, that was an awesome testimony that I'll never be able to share with anybody, anybody else. But as we've gone, as we've gone, like every time we go, he, uh, he, he showed me like this notebook. He has like five notebooks where he's just reading the Bible and making all these notes. He asked me to bring him a Bible study, so I brought him material to study. And uh, he's reinterpreted all his tattoos. Like he has, he has a tattoo like right on his forehead that says FTW, which used to mean like <clears throat> the world, right? And now he says, now this stands for faith the word, you know? And... Uh, and he's, he's, he started Bible, he's like, I feel like I should start Bible studies with the other prisoners. And it's been going really great because he's really intimidating. So he walks up and he goes, Bible study, Tuesday night, you're coming. Okay, okay, Joe. <laughs> and, and so like the gospel, it's unusual, but the gospel is spreading. It's spreading like a virus. You get all these prisoners, they're going to Bible study whether they're interested or not, right? And... Uh, <laughs> But, but we've, seen, we've seen all these prisoners, we've seen the chapel services kind of swell to standing room only. And, and, uh, and the, the last time I was talking to Joe about a month ago, he said this to me. He said, he said, Mike, prison isn't even prison to me anymore. He said, like, prison is my Bible college. The government is, the government is paying me to sit in my cell and study the Bible. That's what he said. And uh, he said... I, I, I really feel, he said, I feel like a pastor. I feel like I'm a pastor to the other prisoners. And, uh, and, and so we're seeing this amazing thing where the gospel is, is literally like going viral in the prison. And that's, that's an exciting thing. So the gospel is viral. And then uh, in verses 12 and 13, it says, amazed and perplexed, they asked one another, what does this mean? Some, however, made fun of them and said, they have had too much wine. Uh, the gospel is transformative. They're, they're drunk, but they're not drunk on wine. They're drunk on the Holy Spirit. They're drunk on the influence of the Holy Spirit. And uh, let me just say that there's always going to be people that make fun of the gospel. And we just have to get over that. We just have to get over it. Uh, and and let the, the gospel is powerful, and it, and it transforms lives. This uh, past week in Honduras... As, as I was there with the team, this opportunity opened up. I'd been praying for a while for an opportunity to share Christ with some, some gang members. Honduras is rampant with gangs. Gangs control all the different neighborhoods 
and, uh, and, and there are many gangs, and all, what's happened is the other countries in Central America have all cracked down on gangs, and so all the gang activity has been pushed into the country of Honduras. And, uh, and I've been praying for an opportunity to, to really just be able to share the gospel with some, some young gang members. And this opportunity opened up. And, uh, and there was a guy that uh, was, was with us. His, uh, his name is Cesar. Cesar used to be in a gang. And he, he came with us, and he shared his testimony with these gang members. And uh, the thing about gangs is this. They have a policy that's blood in, blood out. In order to get into a gang, you have to shed somebody else's blood. And the only way out of the gang is for you to die, for your blood to be shed. Once you're in, you're in for life. There's one exception to this. The one exception is the blood of Jesus. It's a Catholic country. And there's such a high respect, not in all gangs, but there's certain gangs where there's a high, high respect for Jesus. And the rule is that if you, are seri- if you seriously want to become a Christian and serve God with your life, they will let you out of the gang. But you better be serious because they're watching. And uh, you better be a real disciple because if you're just faking it, they will kill you. And so it's blood in and blood out. And uh, we had the chance, Cesar shared his testimony of how he used to be a gang member, and now he's part of Jesus' gang. And, uh, and, and we got a chance at the end, I, you know, I basically just had a chance to present the gospel and say, like, how many of you want out of the life that you're now living and into the life that Jesus has for you? And... Uh, 15 young men came forward and gave their life to Jesus um, out of this one particular gang that we were, that we were working with. And uh, we just need to be reminded sometimes in the church, don't we, that the gospel is powerful. The gospel changes people's lives. When I looked at Cesar, you know, he, has, he had his tattoos covered up, and uh, he still has some gang tattoos. He had them covered up. But I have never met uh, a more joyful, happy Christian, I don't think, in, in, my, in my life. Like, I, when I looked at him, I had a hard time believing that he could ever be in a gang. But that's the business that God is in. He takes us and he transforms us from darkness to light, from one thing to another. He, he changes lives. And uh, the gospel is transformative. And, uh, and uh, God, God changes lives. So in verse 14, it says, Then Peter, even after they were made fun of, it says, Then Peter stood up with the eleven and raised his voice and addressed the crowd. And that's the challenge for us today, isn't it? We, we live in a culture that is easily offended. We live in a culture that, that tells us to be quiet about what has happened to us. We live in a culture that, that says, like, everything is, is permissible except for this one thing. And uh, we need to be like Peter. We need to be willing to, to, like, to, to stand up, to take a stand for the gospel and to raise our voice, even when there's people making fun and there are other voices 
telling us that we need to stay quiet. We need to raise our voice and address those around us so that God can, can, uh, can use us to help transform other people's lives. So my message to you today is really simple. And I hope it just in, inspires and encourages you. I, I am totally convinced of this. I am convinced uh, that if we preach the gospel boldly, if we preach the gospel boldly, that God will act accordingly and people will respond decisively. There's a little part in all of us. When I was with those gang members, they were pretty intimidating. And there was a part of me that said, you know, if you just hang back and you don't do anything too bold, we can all just kind of leave here saving face because maybe you're going to tell them God can change your life and nobody's going to respond. And then you're going to feel kind of awkward about that. And there's always those moments in our life, but, but, but I'm glad I was able to push past that moment because I pushed past the moment and I was just bold anyway. Because I did that, 15 people came forward and, uh, and the Spanish pastors that were with me gave them Bibles, uh, you know, kind of uh, talked to them, began the discipleship process, and are going back into to uh, disciple those guys long after I'm kind of out of the country. And, uh, and so if we preach the gospel boldly, God will act accordingly and people will respond decisively. And I know that at Moncton Wesleyan, I'm preaching to the choir when it comes to this, right? You are in a live church. And so today, I just want to uh, kind of pray for you that God will just kind of keep us going in the direction we're going and see the kingdom built, all right, in Moncton and the Maritimes. And uh, there's going to be, the, uh, while we do the last song, there's going to be a prayer team up front. And uh, if you need to pray about anything, maybe you're here and you need to give your, you've never surrendered to Jesus. Uh, maybe you need to give your life to Jesus today. Or, or, or maybe there's been some things that you need to get right with God. Or maybe, maybe today you've been kind of holding back as a Christian. And today you're like, you know what? I just need to be bold. I just need to be more bold in my faith. There's going to be people here to, to pray with you about that. But I want to pray with you as a church uh, and then we'll sing our closing song. Let me, uh, let me pray for us today. God, thank you that your gospel is powerful and transformative and that you, you want to use us to impact the lives of others in our community, wherever, wherever we're at. And uh, so today, God, I pray, you know, it says in your word, I am not ashamed of the gospel because it's the power of God for salvation. So God, would you make us bold? Would you make us more bold in our faith as the church so that we could reach out to our communities and our world? And uh, God, we don't want to be ashamed because we know that the gospel is powerful to change lives. And so I pray that you will do that through us in Jesus' name. Amen.